0: Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast.
1: From everybody time for the Eddie trunk podcast it's new every thursday podcast one.com and itunes it's free as you well know and that is thanks to our great sponsors like amazon and everybody else everyone knows that the world shops online now and for the most part people only go to malls to drop the kids off or to buy a super pretzel And, of course, Amazon, you know they are the biggest online mall in the universe. But did you know that every time you use Amazon, you could be helping keep this podcast going? That's right. If you use my Amazon banner when you shop, a small amount of the purchase goes directly to help support this podcast at no extra cost to you. Here's how you do it. Go to PodcastOne.com. Click on Killer Deals link. Click my show logo. And you'll see Amazon and all my sponsors. Then when you click the link, bookmark it so it's super easy to use the next time. Cool way that you can help keep this podcast free each and every week. And we appreciate your support. All right, so here we go with um, another double dip as the hits keep coming. All the good stuff keeps coming here on a weekly basis to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. We lead this week with Steven Adler. Former and sometimes current drummer from Guns N' Roses. Stephen is an old friend. Stephen is and was a huge fan of That Metal Show, so much so that he wore a That Metal Show t shirt to Guns N' Roses Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. And Stephen, as you well know, got a little taste once again of being in Guns N' Roses, where he made some very sporadic, very brief appearances with the band on their current reunion tour uh, this uh, while Stephen was doing all that. And he kind of alludes to this in the interview you're about to hear. He was unable to do interviews. He had to sign something that was prohibited him from talking about the whole experience. Well, that has clearly expired. And after being so open about wanting a guns and roses reunion for so long, as you're about to hear in this interview, Steven Adler is finally over it. He got his little taste of playing again with the band. I think the fans love seeing him. He loved doing it, but I believe the realization has set in for him that he is not going to be the drummer on the with the band going forward and that uh, the idea of flying all over the world to play a song or two just really wasn't all that worth it for him anymore. So he has as you're about to hear some closure on all of this, and he is now looking to move on to the next phase of his career. Why they have not done more with Steven Adler and why his appearances were so sporadic, only Axel Rose truly can answer because, of course, it's it's his thing. And maybe one day, if and when Axel does an interview with me, as he promised, or anybody else, we'll find out those answers. But for the time being... Steven is moving on, and it's also revealing in the interview you're about to hear because Steven says that he's done with trying to do a new band. There's a huge misconception out there in the the music world that if you came from a major band and you start a new band, all of the fans from the major band are going to follow. Does not work that way, does not happen that way for the most part, never really did. And Stephen, in in total honesty and transparency, in the upcoming interview, says, hey, I'm done trying to go into a club on a Tuesday night and see 12 people standing there waiting to see me play. So Adler's now looking to move into an established band where he can uh, just jump in and play drums, and I think that's a smart move. You know, this interview, like most of the interviews you hear on my podcast, premiered on my daily radio show on Sirius XM 106 volume, which you can hear live Monday to Friday, two to 4 p.m. Eastern replaying every night, nine to 11 p.m. Eastern. And after this interview aired, I was really surprised because there were you know, some people that emailed me or t- I saw on Twitter or what have you. And they said, well, there you go. That's why this guy doesn't get into these bands. That's why this guy doesn't get these gigs because he, he runs off at the mouth. I mean, there may be some bit of truth to that, but I completely disagree. It, it, what there I find zero wrong with what Steven Nadler says in the interview you're about to hear. He is honest, he is transparent. He has always worn his emotions on his sleeve. and that is so refreshing. It kind of ties into, like, the hubbub earlier this week when my, my good friend Joey Kramer from Aerosmith said his feelings about the Rolling Stones and felt that his band was a better band. And you can't believe the outrage in the music media about that. Are you kidding me? What is wrong with what Joey Kramer said? that is his opinion he should want and to think his band is better i like his band better i mean what we are in we are used to and everyone is so conditioned to these hyper PC politically correct answers given. How many interviews do you hear or read with musicians where you can predict what they're going to answer and how they're going to answer before they even do? Because everyone is so afraid of giving an honest answer. So, whether I agree with these answers or not, I applaud anybody that has the stones to just talk honestly. When we're in this ridiculous world of super politically correct, everybody's got to say the right, perfect thing that everyone expects you to say. Otherwise, it's an outrage. Horrendous. I hate that mentality. So I applaud what Joey Kramer said. And I applaud what you're about to hear Stephen Adler say. We're just being honest. I mean, he's just being honest, God forbid people are so conditioned to not actually hear honest feelings and thoughts from celebrities or musicians. Give me a break. So anyway, we'll, t- we'll hear from Adler exactly where he's at, and he sounds like he's in a great place. He-, he alludes to maybe doing something more with Guns N' Roses in some sort of 30th anniversary capacity, but it's clear that unless it's a real defined role, He's not going to just yo-yo in and out for a song or two with GNR anymore. So enjoy that interview that's coming up first this week. Second interview this week is with Jay Weinberg. This was done a couple, about six weeks ago when I was in Anaheim around the NAM show. Jay Weinberg, I had not met before this. Everybody knows his dad is Max Weinberg, who is the drummer in Bruce Springsteen's band. Jay Weinberg also played with Springsteen for a little bit. Jay Weinberg currently plays in Slipknot, where he replaced Joey Jordison. But I did not know him. I don't know him. And when I found out he was out and about at the NAM show, I reached out to see if we could have him on because I wanted to get to know him. Younger guy, great story. And I thought it would be a great conversation, and it was. So we talk about his upbringing, we talk about his dad. We talk about Slipknot. We talk about Springsteen and much more. Jay Weinberg joins me for part two of this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. I think you're going to really enjoy these interviews as we focus on drummers this week. Steven Adler first, Jay Weinberg second. Can't thank you guys enough for all the amazing response that I get each and every week to this podcast. It is appreciated. Wherever you are, however you listen, appreciate you doing so. Again, this is new every Thursday, podcast1.com and iTunes. I have been toying with the idea, after about three years of doing the Eddie Trunk podcast, of potentially expanding this to two a week, I am currently doing seven radio shows a week. So I don't know if I want to take more on. I'm not sure if I'm quite ready. I'd have to talk to the people at podcast one and I will soon kind of kick the tires and see how I feel about it, how they feel about it. But there's been so much content and a lot being generated from what I'm doing on my uh, daily serious XM show as well. So we'll see as usual though, if you have Sirius or XM, please listen to me. You'll get a ton of stuff and you can call in and all that channel 106, live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, Monday to Friday, and again, replaying every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern as well. And then I do a second show on Mondays from 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern on channel 39 on Sirius XM. And I've got my terrestrial radio show, which is predominantly music these days, and that is on over 30, 35 radio stations across the country. A lot of festivals. We're getting closer now. Rock, Oklahoma, M3. I'll be hosting all of those. New ones coming in all the time. Please check the homepage of com for all my appearances. While you're there, read the blog, which is The Trunk Report. Merch store, shirts, hats, and much more. The weather's getting nicer. It's been 70 degrees in February in New Jersey. It's been crazy. Uh, so, maybe pick up a new t shirt, some new designs available for you in the merch store. Signed copies of either of my books, Essential Hard Rock and Heavy Metal Volume 1 or 2, available directly to, from me, signed however you want, sent wherever you want in America. Can only ship to U.S. addresses. Information on how to order my books, signed by me, directly from me, is on the books tab on com. I am working on my third book, going extremely slow. Just don't have the time to focus on it. Hopefully, I'll be able to get that out maybe sometime next year if I can ever get back online to start typing and writing again. No news on that metal show. Appreciate everybody keep asking, but there is just nothing to report at this time. When and if there is, I, of course, will absolutely let you guys know. Uh, What else? I think that pretty much covers it as far as the the opening here this week. And uh, stand by. We'll talk to Stephen Adler in a couple minutes. And I know you're going to enjoy that if you haven't heard this yet. It's 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 a great one. Steven is always Radio Gold. And that'll be followed by Jay Weinberg. So some some of the old guard, some of the newer guard, as far as drummers are concerned, stick around. It's all coming up on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast.
0: The Eddie Trunk Podcast.
1: If you owe less than $625,000 on your home, you need to know about RefinanceDance.com. I recently found out about RefinanceDance.com, and they have some surprising information. Did you know that qualified homeowners can take advantage of Congress's once-in-a-lifetime mortgage relief program called HARP? Now, the program itself is totally free, and it doesn't add any cost to your refi. The only bad news is is that like most government benefits, this program will expire. Homeowners who act before the program expires this year can take advantage of the greatest mortgage reduction program in U.S. history. HARP really is a program with no downside. All it does is help qualified homeowners get better, more affordable mortgages. Responsible homeowners have used HARP to eliminate up to 15 years of mortgage payments, cut their interest rates in half, or have simply lowered their monthly payments and saved up to $4,100 a year. If you want to learn more about HARP and the shocking amount you could save by refinancing, you need to connect with the lenders at refinancedance.com. A name that makes you smile, savings that'll make you dance. refinancedance.com. That's refinance dance.
0: So far in 2017, Forbes and Podcast One have already launched three highly acclaimed shows. The interview with Steve Bertoni features the business world's most interesting names, like Adam Carolla, Twitter founder Sean Radd, and Hollywood's own Jessica Alba. So I
1: spent a lot of my childhood in hospital and hospital beds. Under
0: 30 with Steve Goldblum talks to the movers and shakers, like Nation Builder CEO Jim Gilliam and NFL Big Game winner Martellus Bennett. Guys are afraid to be themselves because of their marketing deal. And the list with Art of Charms' Jordan Harbinger. We'll get behind-the-scenes. Insight and information that doesn't make the print cut. Next up, Sports Money with Mike Ozanian talking to team owners, athletes, and industry leaders about the enterprise and money behind Supreme Athletic Competition. Forbes on Podcast One. Not just entertaining, informative. Subscribe now at iTunes and don't forget to rate, review, and share. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast.
1: All right, the Eddie Trunk Podcast, interview number one of two this week is uh, with Stephen Adler. This interview was just done about a week ago, so it's very fresh. It talks about all the stuff that Stephen went through to rejoin Guns N' Roses for the brief time that he did and where he is headed now going forward in his career. So Jay Weinberg joins us a little bit later on this week. Right now, though, Stephen Adler, my old buddy of Guns N' Roses, always fun to talk to him, and this interview was no exception. Enjoy. It is Stephen Adler. How are you, my brother? I am wonderful,
2: Eddie. How are you? Or should I start um, calling you Captain Eddie? You've been on so many cruises in the last few years. I'm just going to call you Captain from now on.
1: I know. I should learn how to steer the <laughs> ship, right? <laughs> oh, you mean they haven't
2: let you do it yet? A couple cocktails and steering a cruiser? Oh, yeah.
1: I'll be like that guy how in Italy you? who drove. I'll be like the guy in Italy who drove it right into an iceberg or whatever and bottomed it out. <laughs>
2: He just drove it into onto the beach. But how are you?
1: I'm good, man. I'm good. I mean I'm I, I miss you and uh, I was talking earlier, you know, I, I we, we were I was telling stories about the old days of that metal show when you you popped out of a cake for me and all the yes. fun times that we had and... and I
2: love you. I love you and I miss you too. Yeah, we've had the greatest times. Bowling for you know, Dio, the the benefit for Dio.
1: Yeah, well, we, so missed we missed there. you. We missed you. We missed you at Dio Bowling this year because you were going to be on the team, and uh, yeah. I know at the last minute you couldn't because you went to South America to play with Guns and Roses. So you had a good reason, at least. To,
2: I went to beautiful Argentina, which I love dearly, and I got to, got to play with them. But I only got to play one song, two nights, one song each. Um, and it's it just—it was, you know, last year was just so fabulous because I wanted this. You know, everybody knows that I've been praying for this for 25 years for us to have a reunion.
1: I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody more than you who has been open consistently about wanting the reunion to happen. Nobody more than you.
2: Well, because well, it was something that was so magical, and I, I just, you know, I'm so proud of what we did, and, I, and I'm so proud of the guys and. and But it was just too hard last year, you know, because they'd have me come down and and do just one or two songs. And it's like I'm standing on the side of the stage and I'm watching Frank, who is a wonderful guy and a great drummer, you know, playing my songs. When I'm I'm standing right there, I'm going, dude, why don't you fucking let me play? I'm right here. Let me play the songs. And it was just too hard to do that. And then the South America thing, flying 15,000 miles for uh, just, you know, one song uh, each night. It was just too much. But the great part about that trip was after the second show, I put on a private show at uh, my friend uh, Pablo Chino. They have a club called The Roxy on in Argentina. And uh, we played from 2 to, like, 5 in the morning, had all these guitar players and different great musicians come up. We played all, all of Appetite, we did... Uh, you uh, you could be mine. Back off, bitch. Don't cry. Uh, you know a couple of the you know, songs that I you know helped be a part of writing, but didn't get to play on it. So you guys, anybody listening, go on YouTube and you know Stephen Amell, Argentina, the Roxy, and you could check out their shows. It was so much fun. Let but me. That, Stephen, was, le- that and le- my wife and I got to be with their family at the same time
1: for one. Well, that, that's that's <laughs> cool. Let let me back you up a little bit because I haven't talked to you for a while about all this. When when did you first who when did you first 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 get approached about doing anything with them was it around the time of the very first show in in vegas or at the troubadour i mean were you having discussions with them back then and if so who were you in touch with in the band or was it management how were you communicating who 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 contacted who well it
2: was january 2nd 20 uh what 16. And Slash and Duff uh, both texted me and said that they wanted to get together and talk to me. So I went down to Duff's house and uh, we had a nice little talk. And they, you know, had me sign, you know, some contracting and whatnot just so they could talk to me, which is cool. I don't care. And um, then in March, I came down to rehearsal. And the second rehearsal, I pulled, I got a, a, a pinched nerve in my L4. In my lower back. But I was only out for 10 days. I mean, by the time they did the troubadour show, I was ready to go. I mean, I, Duff calls me. I called Duff up. I said, dude, I'm, I'm ready to rock. Can I do these shows? You know, they had the troubadour and then like seven other shows. And I said, and he said, no, nah, you're not, not going to be a part of this. And I was like, fuck you. And then I call, hung up on him and they called him back. I said, I'm sorry. I was just angry at myself because I feel like I ruined it for myself, and I was just saying mean things to you because that's how I felt about me. And, you know, I, I'm trying to move forward, you know, and and so one day, um, well, I think like July 4th, they called me and said, um, or July 3rd or 4th, they said, you want to come down to Cincinnati and Nashville? And, and I said, yeah, when? And they said, tomorrow. So, of course, you know, I got, I got on a plane. I went, I got to jam with them. And it was great. It was just, it's it just not the same. Not that I, I I was thinking it's going to be the same as it was, you know, 25 years ago, but not having Izzy there and just playing one or two songs, it was, it was just, it was very hurtful and heart, heart, heartbreaking for me. And, you know, I mean, and, and Richard is a phenomenal guitar player. He's a great guitar player. And the crazy thing is from like 10 feet away, he fucking looks like dizzy. So yeah, I was does. like, I'm playing. I'm out there playing. I look over and I go, yeah, you got on stage. And I go, wait a second, that's fishing. <laughs> Crap. And so, you know, I, I'll do it again. And they asked me to go to, like, they, they said either Japan or Australia or Thailand. And, you know, I, I said, I'm not going to fly 20,000 miles to play one or two songs. It's just, you know, it's just too much. So now, when you when you were doing, hold, Stephen,
1: when you were when you were doing all this travel for them and doing all this stuff, I mean, we're, I'm assuming they were paying for the travel, and were you being paid?
2: Yeah, oh yeah, they gave me a couple of bucks. They're, they're good guys with that, you know, Fernando. So you weren't
1: coming. At, well, It's not like you were coming out of your pocket. Guy. It's not like you were no, coming out of no. your pocket, right? So no, did no, they but
2: still, you know, to be on the side of the stage? And watching somebody else play a song, it's it, it just it's heartbreaking.
1: No, and I understand that it would be. But here's my question. Why, why did they – do you know why they put such restrictions? In other words, here's what I thought was going to happen. When I saw – and listen, I was – I texted you, I was ecstatic for you when you finally got up there with them. All the fans were. The smile ear-to-ear seeing you sitting up there playing those songs was beautiful. Everybody loved it. What I thought was going to happen from that point forward was that you would then stay on the road with the band and that at every show you'd come up and play at least three or four songs from Appetite. I thought that's Mm -hmm. where that was leading. Why -hmm. do you think it was so sporadic? Like. I was I was at Dodger Stadium and I know I was there one night but you played the second. Yeah, night. Yeah you missed the what? night I played. but uh, my, my, I I'm just you. like you're, you're in LA. why wouldn't you have played both nights?
2: I, I did I was at uh, in Argentina. why would you let me play one song? okay um, I have no idea and out of respect for Fernando, you know I have nothing um, I have nothing you know negative to say because I was just so glad to be able to do it. And even though it wasn't what it could be and should be, um, I got closure, and and I feel so much better. Like there's, there's this billion ton weight lifted off of me. Well, I can move forward again. I could play with other people. I could do other things, and it, 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 it's the greatest thing. I've been you know practicing the four agreements for the last three years, and it's changed my life. I'm a I'm a totally happier person. I'm the per, uh, I'm the person when I was when I was young and a teenager and excited. And had you know, and had dreams and goals and and wanted to do things, and I like it. I, before all, I wanted to do was do a fucking reunion, and I got to do what I got to do, and I'm thankful for that.
1: Well, listen, I, I the fans that got to see it are thankful as well that they got to see it. But it is to me, I I don't know. And again, I'm not in their heads, and they don't do interviews. I talk to some of them. I mean, I don't, I don't really know what the logic was, though. Uh, it would seem to me like it was like, okay, we'll give you a little taste, just to almost give you that closure. But it just, it just, especially if you're going to go to these foreign countries and stuff, to at yeah. least not be able <laughs> to play a couple songs every night. I mean, people know you're doing it. People see that you're capable of doing it. Did you ever ask, hey? I'm standing here. Why can't I come out tonight for a song? Did you ask? Of
2: course. Of course. I start playing another fucking song. They tell me to get off. You know, and they say, "Okay, you're done." And I said, no. I start playing another song," and they just turned the sound off. You know? <laughs> you know, I beat it. You're done. I'm so, "Okay, cool. I got to do that." It's better than love and lost and never loved it all. And I got to rock with those guys. And I love Slash and Duff and excellent. You know, I got to meet some great people that are working with them, um, and like I said, I got closure, and you know, if they, and Fernando, you know, who who's a GNR's main guy, he's got some good ideas for hopefully the summer for the 30th anniversary, you know, in July, something for the fans. Um, I don't know what it is, but he's a good guy, and I think he's going to do the right thing.
1: I, oh, I, I know him I know him and I I know him and that whole camp as well and I like those people very much also so I mean it's just the from a fan standpoint I know for you it had to be frustrating and baffling but from a fan standpoint it was really baffling because in the nights that yeah. they did two two shows it would be like well if you're there why why wouldn't we see you the second night it's just it's just strange and and there was no real explanation for that that they gave you right And, and there
2: never will be an explanation it, it all, all it is what it is, and that's that. It is what it is. What was and it like for you? What what, what was what it like?
1: <laughs> I know for I know Slash and Duff. You were in touch with uh, over the years. What was it like for you? And tell me about the first time you saw Axel.
2: Well, I, you know, I, I only talked to Axel for literally ten seconds. But the first time I played with him in Cincinnati, I got a fist bump and a little smile. And that was good enough for me. And then at Dodger Stadium, I got to give him a little hug and shake his hand and say I love him and he fucking rules and thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I had the greatest time. And he walked on his way. And I went on with my life. And I've been enjoying it ever since.
1: (laughs) So you didn't get to really have any real connection time with him and sit and talk and hang out and and kind of reconnect at all?
2: No, he's, he's, he's... He's Axel, you know. He does his show, and and he gets so passionate and such such emotion that he really just needs to like, like, like come down, you know, relax and come down for at least an hour because he is a monster on stage. And you know, he puts out so much, so much feeling that he becomes those songs, and it it takes some time to realize. Hey, I was just singing the songs not happening now i gotta chill so he, he and he's been fabulous at it and fast and tough but so much fun we got i mean when we were together like at Sound Check, the, the crew was all jesus christ steve you got to come down more because that's the only time these guys ever smile or have fun is when i'm when you're here and i'm saying well you know i'd love to <laughs> but it is what it is
1: <laughs> you mentioned izzy before have you talked to him at all Yes, I love it. Izzy gave me the greatest,
2: greatest quote I've heard in in decades, centuries even. He said, Stephen, it takes talent to live life. And it's true. Hmm. It takes talent. And so now, like, I practice drums to be talented in playing drums. I'm practicing to get a talent to live in life. And I'm enjoying every minute of it. That is a quote from Izzy. So why, <laughs> so traveling.
1: why, why do you think that Izzy has been kind of so disconnected from this? I mean, uh, I mean, some have said it's money and the offer. Some have said he does he doesn't want to do it. Why do you think he hasn't even gotten up at all or shown up at all?
2: Because he wants to do it like me, the right way or not at all. And and, and I got I, I the reason I did it and needed to do it was because I got, like, kicked out of the band for reasons I still don't know. Because saying I'm a drug addict in that band getting kicked out for drugs is ridiculous. They were doing drugs was. way more <laughs> than me, okay? So it's like, you know, calling the kettle black. But right. it was, a, you know, different stuff. You know, Axel wanted, you know, more control of the thing, and I'm... Um, and uh, then, he, then you know, is he? Is he? He wanted control of Izzy, and then he wanted control of Slash and Dawson. So one at a time, everybody left until it was the absolute Rose band. But he still called the Guns and Roses. And you know, I wouldn't blame him. I would too because that that name's worth billions. So I'd use it if I could myself. <laughs> I'd get Steven Tyler to sing though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you're in touch yeah. with Izzy, huh? And he has he told you anything? He's about the greatest what he guy of night. I'd love to talk to him, man. I know he doesn't do interviews, really, but I'd love to talk to him.
2: Well, I'll I'll, I'll I'll give him a text later tonight or this afternoon, and I'll I'll, I'll ask him if he'll talk with you. I, I wouldn't roll the dice on this one, but I'll ask him.
1: Yeah, because he's put out some music, too, recently. I know he put yeah. stuff out on his own. And, I mean, I wouldn't want to just pound him about Guns and Roses like you, and I'm going to talk to you about other stuff in a second. But I want to talk to him about what he's done musically since the band. And yeah. he's the one guy now of the original five that, even though you had a very limited role in this reunion stuff, he's the one guy that's been yeah. completely invisible from it. So right. I'd be curious like to see said, what he's, he's thinking.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like I said, he wants to do it the right way with the five of us. And I needed to do it because I needed closure. I got kicked out for, you know, I was like, all of a sudden I had all these, I had road crew, I had management, I had accounts, I had, I had, you know, stage people, I had a band. And then one day, literally and one afternoon, I had nobody and I was like all alone. And I was scared shitless, I didn't know what to do. What, you know, what do I do? All I knew was what I was doing. And then I was left all alone. So being able to at least play the one or two songs and a few the five shows I did was severe closure for me. Granted, you know, like I, said, out. I think Fernando's got something really cool in the works for July. I don't know. He's the he's the main guy, so I, I yeah. Respect and and him. you're right. This, this is this is, th- this is
1: the this is the thirtieth anniversary of Appetite, so it would yep. be cool if there was something in the works. So you're not ruling well, out he's doing. A smart, any-
2: good guy. I'm sure he's got something. You know, something secret. He's a secret guy. So I'm sure he got something really exciting and, and, you know, planned. Cross so our you're not, fingers.
1: you wouldn't rule out doing anything with them again? Everything's cool, and if they called you, you'd be open to doing stuff again?
2: Oh, if we did it the right way, yes. I can't watch somebody. I I will share the stage with, with Frank any day. You know, I'll do my fucking the appetite stuff, which is the great stuff anyways and the fun stuff anyways. And I'll do the the, uh, the uh, live stuff. I'll do a couple of illusions. And let let Frank, you know, in the middle of the set, play, you know, the, the Chinese democracy stuff, some of the illusion stuff. And, you know, if we split it, I would not mind sharing the stage with him at all. I mean, if that's what it came down to, I'm cool with that. He's a but great as far guy. as
1: But as far as popping up for a song or two at, at random shows, nah. you're done with that. Yeah, you know, I can't do that.
2: It's just too hard. Right. It's too
1: hard, so Stephen, I'm going through my uh you know some of my tweets and i'm', I'm and people are just so happy to hear your voice, so happy oh, to hear that.
2: thank you captain thank you, everybody.
1: everybody <laughs> is saying the nicest things that they're thrilled to hear you. they're thrilled that you had to at least the moment that you had with guns and Roses. It's funny because oh. um, I didn't even look at these tweets before I asked you, but they were like, well, I hope they at least paid for his travel. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, they're not they're not that stingy. They're good people.
1: Yeah, it's no, so I, 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 yeah, it seems like it, it was all good on that front, so that's good to hear. Yeah, so, it was so, the, the
2: only thing was, just, you know, not enough songs. I want to play more, and I want Izzy to be there. I loved yeah. it. I, it was the five of us that made magic, and, and I know we could make that magic again because it's just who we are. Even though we're, we're 25 years older, I know if we got in the, uh, in, in a room together and started playing, it would be fucking
1: magic. Well, and I've seen ho, ho, ho.
2: you. i I've, magic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well. Here's the other thing, too. I mean, I've seen you play recently, and you you're, you're playing great. And I know that you put a lot into being prepared for if and when Guns and Roses called. Like you were out there, you you played oh, all God. all of Appetite, right? Like you rehearsed the hell Dude, out. I of. was playing Appetite. I was playing twenty five songs
2: twice a day for a year and year and ten months. Because I heard something, you know, like a year before, and so I started every day. I would run through all these fucking songs. So yeah, no, I was even running through it, like like the Chinese democracy songs, which I don't care for. But you know, just in case they said, you know, we're gonna play it. I was like, all right, let's play it. Let me ask you but, a hypothetical. Yeah, no, I, I I did play it. Pra- all I, I got, I got so much out of it. I got, you know, practice and reputation makes the master. And it goes. It goes in playing drums and 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 living life. And I'm trying to be the master. I already lived the fool. It's time to be the master.
1: <laughs> let, me, let me ask you. Let me ask you a hypothetical. If you were out there at one of those shows, as you were in South America with Guns and Roses, and you did that one song, and say say the next day, the next show they came to you, and like you know Frank was sick or something and couldn't do, could, would would you feel comfortable? Would you be able to get up there? Do you feel in? and play uh, the full two-hour set with those guys if they needed you to? Oh, Oh, God,
2: yes. I I wanted to push uh, Frank down the stairs one night. Just so I could do that the next night. But he's too much of a great guy. I can't do it. I can't push down the stairs. Okay. I'll get my shot this way. One way or another, I'm getting up there and playing more songs. Somebody's going down and it ain't going to be
1: <laughs> I, I, could see you in, I could see you in catering and Frank turns his head and you put a little something in his drink or something. I didn't do that.
2: Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. That, oh, a, a little Mickey. slip him a Mickey. Oh, my God. That would be great. Pull a Keith Moon on him. Oh, it'd be great. <laughs> no, Frank, he, he, you know, I was thankful for what I got to do. And Frank is such a great guy. Richard. He is. Too. Richard too. He man. they he's they too. are.
1: They they totally are. Frank is my neighbor. He lives right by me. I know Frank for years. No and, he, and he is. He's a sweetheart of a guy and, and I and I yes. like his playing as well. And uh yeah. I, I just you know, I mean uh, so so when you came up, he you, you did you play his kid or did you have your own kid? No, I played his kid. There's only two
2: songs, they weren't gonna get my own kid for me. You know, I just wanna play. I can play, play anything. I don't care. If they're pots and pans. I wanna play them. Tupperware. <laughs> Let me play the fucking song, dude. Just put a mic on and Let's go. Let's rock. What I'm here for. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: but, yeah, what song talking about my mom's book. My mom put this this great book out. Wait,
1: wait, wait 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 wait, 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 We're going to get to the uh, book. I'm going to ask you about the book. I promise. Uh, okay. <laughs> but be, what, one last thing, one last thing on Guns and Roses. What songs did you play exactly? Did was it the same ones every night? Oh,
2: the same ones every night. my Michelle and uh God, oh, what somebody texted me what the fucking song was. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs>
1: So, I my Michelle my and, and Michelle. something else.
2: And, oh, it's, no, Out to Get Me? Yeah, I think Out to Get Me.
1: So, just those two?
2: Yeah, Out to Get Me. Blah, 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 boom. Tap, blah, Yeah, Out to Get Me. Blah, blah, Tap, blah, Yeah, Out to Get Me. That's it. Yeah. So, you know, I I, and then I went into Rocket Queen. And they just fucking turned it uh, uh They just cut the, the power on me. <laughs> and they're, you're out of here. Beat it.
1: <laughs> who told you who told you those were the two songs that you were gonna play with them? Who who assigned those songs uh, to you?
2: Well, uh their amazing uh, uh stage manager Tom Mayhew. Oh, I, okay. hail. I I know I
1: hail. know Tom. I love Tom, yeah, I know Tom. So so he told you that They're they and and, and did you did you rehearse with the full band at, at any point? No, just those two
2: rehearsals. Uh, before I heard my back and that was us with Flash and Dust. Richard wasn't even there.
1: Okay, so the rest of the guys, like, you know, Dizzy and, and Melissa, the keyboard player, and Richard and Axel. I mean, you really, the first time you had any interaction with them was when you walked on stage the first time, right?
2: Yeah, oh, dude, they're, they're, they, the reason they fit perfect in that band is because they're, like, fucking ghosts. And so, you know, because Axel, they don't want to see nobody. And it's like, I would walk into the studio, I'd say hi to them, and then I'd turn around, and they'd be gone. And then when I was done playing, all of a sudden there they'd be again. I'm like, what the, where did you go? You know, they're they're very nice people, very quiet, just the way Axel likes them. (laughs) Nice and quiet.
1: (laughs) And maybe maybe do you think because you're not so quiet, that's why you only got a song or two? (laughs) Yes, I am very
2: opinionated and animated in my opinion. And uh, <laughs> man,
1: I love you for that I really do man it's uh, it's great I so, love you, Thank so you. listen before you go tell me about your mom your mom wrote a book about you right it's just come out tell me about it
2: no it, it's not it's about her um, being the mother of me So like if you read my book you can read all the stories and all the shit that I put myself through and then you read my mom's book and you could see how I affected her, what my actions, how they affected her and how her feelings were. And from, from me writing my book and now my mom's book, writing, writing a book, we both have grown so much that, you know, we have no resentments. I have no more resentments towards the GR guys. I have no more resentments towards my family. I have no reason, resent, resentments to the people who I got molested when I was 13 years old. I got all that out of my system. Everybody should write a book about themselves. They might not get it published. They may, but they, they, to be able to get everything out and go over it and even go over it with somebody they could trust and then take it and fucking burn it and, and move on with your life. Get some closure because that's what I did. After my book came out, I read it. I built the fire in my fireplace and I tossed it fucking in there.
1: I said, wow. okay, so it was therapeutic, was it was therapeutic for you. You could say you did it, and then you were done with it.
2: Yeah, I got it all out of my system. It's like, now I can move forward. You know, you you hold resentment. Resentment to an addict is like rocket fuel and fire. If it gets together, it's going to get be a big mess and get fucking ugly. So resentment is something that you have to get rid of, or you will not move forward with your life.
1: Well, it's you sound important. like... You sound like you're in a great place. I know you've had all kinds of highs and lows, but I know in more ways than one. <laughs> yeah. But you, And you I did sound, it to
2: myself. I'm not a victim. I did it to myself. No, but no, you've I, always I'm been. Not, I'm not a victim anymore. I'm not you've always been
1: anymore. an open book. You've always worn it on your sleeve, and I've always loved that about you. And I'm glad that you're in a place now where you feel like there's some closure. Yeah, yeah. If if guns yeah. comes back to you with something that you're comfortable with, now you'll do it. But now you're in a position to kind of say, yeah, it feels right. Or, no, I did that already. I don't want to go back there. It sounds like you're in a really yeah. good place.
2: Yeah, I am. And, and, and everybody else would be in this good place, too. Yeah, I just got back from the gym. I would never go to the gym. I've been going for the last month. I mean, I just do the treadmill for 30 minutes. But even if I just do that and then I go home and sit on my couch and watch TV all day and do nothing, at least I did that. I made an effort. And you have to make an effort for anything to happen in your life, even the littlest effort. And, I, now, and what do you... my artwork, I want to talk about my artwork because it's almost all gone. People, you can go on stephenadlerart.com, and I have this uh, art collection called Rhythm on Canvas. And I only made 50 copies of each print, of each song. I did each song from know, Appetite and Civil War. And I, I think there's maybe like 30 out of all of them. So if anybody's interested in, in getting some, a piece of JR memorabilia, it's really cool. I play with these laser sticks in the dark, and you could actually feel or see the passion and the love and, 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 and the, the aggression that I'm, I'm putting into each song,
1: so it's really cool. That
2: and you know I got my book, my appetite for destruction, and um,
1: and what yeah, about music? Um, are, you doing, are, you, are you still doing? Are are you still doing your I own band every or?
2: Day. No, what are you I'm gonna, not gonna do? Doing my own band thing. my own band thing was great. I had Great guys. We had great songs. You know, uh, Adler back from the dead. It's one of my favorite records, and I wrote it, or, or, or helped write it. You know, Lonnie and, and Jacob did most of that, but we put it together, and, and that's a great record. Uh, but I can't do that. It's just, I I can't go out and play. I can't drive up to a club or a bar and, and go, okay, like I'm rolling the dice, going, come on seven, come on 11, you know, let there be people, let there be people, and I walk in, and there's like 10 people, and I go, shit, Snake Eyes, is crapped out. You know, I can't do that. But if I get in a band that is established already, hell yeah, I do it. But otherwise, you know, it's just it's too too hard and it it costs money to do that shit.
1: Yeah, no, I know. I talk. I know I talk to fans about that all the time. They ask about, I I constantly get calls. People like, whatever happened to this guy? Why isn't this guy touring? I'm like, you don't know what it's like, even for established guys, even for a guy like you that was part of one of the biggest bands in the world that played on one of the biggest records of all time. It's not that easy. You can't go out there. People just don't turn up on a Tuesday night at 11 o'clock in a club somewhere. It's not that easy. No. No.
2: There's not too many people that actually left their established bands And became very successful themselves. There's a couple. you got Lionel Richie, uh, Phil Collins, uh, and the Beatles, of course. But, you know, it's so rare. Oh, oh, it is. Dave Dave, Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl is fucking God, as far as I'm concerned. I hail that man.
1: Yeah, yeah. He went from the
2: biggest band in the world to putting the bigger band in the world together. Even bigger. He's the coolest guy, as far as I'm concerned.
1: So so you're but you're open to and you'd you'd be up for joining an established band and stepping in as the drummer and something that's up and running and solid.
2: Hell yeah. If Aerosmith called me, i jumped jump right at it. If <laughs> I Speedwagon called me, i jump right at it. I love Iron Speedwagon. Shit, lover boy gave me a call, I'd do some shows with him. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, well listen, I'm I I'm a guy that I get the call all the time from people saying they're looking for drummers, so that's good for me to know. I'll see, I'll keep my ears well, open yeah. for you, bud.
2: Well, thank you. That'd be great. Right. So thank listen, you for everything.
1: Thank you. Well, listen, here's the thing. I'm going to let you go, but here's the thing. I'm talking now with the Powers that be. We just had a meeting yesterday cuz from time to time I come to LA and I do this show from the LA studio for the week. So we I might know, be doing that.
2: Remember John? I'd I love to come down. Remember me and John? John oh, 5 came down?
1: That was before this channel and this show. That was the other show oh, that I do okay. on Sirius XM. But, yes, uh-huh. that one as well. You did do that. We had a blast. So if that happens, it'll be around the, the second or first week of May. You come in and sit in on the whole show. We'll do the whole show together. We'll take calls. Uh-huh. We'll talk about Kiss. We'll talk about Guns in a R- We'll talk about everything. We'll have a good time. Yes. Oh, yeah.
2: Hell, if Kiss gave me a call, I'd jump on that real quick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Paint me up like a cat baby Let's rock <laughs> Hey buddy listen um, The All the best to you I'm glad you're feeling Thank so you, good brother. And uh, everybody dad, check dad. out Check out Steven's art And where can they get your mom's book On Amazon?
2: Oh, uh, On Amazon yeah And right, right, cool. I texted you that picture dude, Wasn't that cool she had her book on Times Square On a big old giant billboard
1: I know then I, texted I was you right
2: I was so fucking
1: cool I was a block away. I could have gone and seen it in person.
2: I Yeah, I, I,
1: I texted you a picture, didn't I? Yeah, you did. I got it. It put was it very your, cool.
2: Put it on your website. Put it on your website. Oh, hey, can you play a song for me?
1: We don't play music. This is an all-talk show.
2: God damn it. Just play one song. I want to hear <laughs> Back in Black, but the Bon Scott version. I want to hear Bon Scott singing Back in Black. Where, who has that? I don't have that. Dude, you got an iTunes. Go on iTunes, dude. Bon get and out of scott. here it is a great dude you don't even know what the lyrics are because you don't understand what the guy's singing that the on back in black the, the record you don't know what he's saying if you listen to those lyrics with bond scott singing it it's like holy shit this guy's amazing and angry and knows how to put words
1: wait a minute wait, a minute wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute where have i been you're telling me that they released a version of I, back in black with bond scott I'll go on iTunes. It's the greatest song I've ever heard in my life. It's probably
2: a scam. Brian Scott, back in black. No, it's Bon Scott, back in black, before he died. Because everybody, everybody said that. Go check it out. It's fucking rules. I never heard <laughs> such a great lyrics in my life. You don't know what the lyrics You really can't understand. What's the guy? I feel so bad I can't think of his name. Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson. I'm sorry, Brian. I had a stroke. I have bad memories. Brian, you're going to really understand what he's saying. Listen to the Bon Scott version, and you're going to listen to words, and you go, holy shit, this is one badass motherfucker. I
1: bet he you it's a scam. I bet you it's a no, scam. It's I bet you it's not Bon Scott, because I heard he had nothing to do. He was dead before that album no. was written. Go on
2: iTunes right now and check it out. It's him.
1: All right, I'm going to look and into this.
2: It's him. Check it we out. Will, it's awesome.
1: This will be continued, man. We will continue this soon. I'll okay. talk to you soon, okay?
2: I love you. Have a great day. And I
1: love you, everybody. Keep rocking. Love you rolling. too, Stephen. <laughs> Take care, buddy. <laughs> he is, he is the best. Stephen Adler, everybody love that guy and how he wears it on his sleeve all the time. Stephen Adler, appreciate the time from him as always and wish him nothing but the best going forward and hopefully a new gig and a new home for him as far as a drummer, but a great attitude. He sounds like he's in a great place easy guy to root for hoping for the best for him all right we're going to take a uh, short little break here and come right back with interview number two it's with Jay Weinberg of Slipknot on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast
0: this is the Eddie Trunk podcast
1: In order to feel comfortable that you're getting a fair price, you need pricing context, information that empowers you to feel confident. And with True Car, you'll see what other people in your local market paid for the car you want. From there, you can connect with a local True Car certified dealer and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Using TrueCar, you can easily find the car you want. True Car will show you what other people in your area paid for the car you want, and now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel confident. Once you register, you'll see real pricing on actual inventory. This is competitive pricing offered to you only by a True Car certified dealer for an actual vehicle on their lot. It's pricing you'll see before going to the dealership, so you can feel confident when you show up. With True Car, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. True Car customers are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with True Car certified dealers. And True Car users save an average of over $3,000 off MSRP. So, when you're ready to buy, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states
3: hello there you it's me jay moore you know me from the more stories podcast i'm a comedian i'm an actor and i talk to people that fascinate me like brandon boyd from incubus super funny jim jeffries jay leno charlie sheen lakers owner
2: genie bus and a whole lot more download a few episodes of more stories now more stories podcast every monday podcast one app itunes podcast one dot com
0: this is the eddie trunk podcast
1: Interview number two on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. This comes from my uh, broadcast around the NAM show in Anaheim earlier this year. First time I ever got to meet Jay Weinberg. Had a great conversation with him about all sorts of stuff growing up with his dad being the famous Max Weinberg, him playing with Bruce Springsteen, getting the gig in Slipknot, and much more. Fascinating conversation. Great guy. Great drummer. So interview number two on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast coming to you right now. Jay Weinberg. Enjoy. We're not actually in the Nam show, and I was saying, thank God we're not, because it's mayhem over there, and I don't know if I could ever get zoned in with anybody over there, (laughs) because stuff comes at you from every angle, as I'm sure uh, Jay Weinberg, who just joined me, uh, will tell you. Your first experience at Nam, or you've been here before? I've been here before. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I used to come out every now and again. uh
3: just for the whole nam experience it's Um, an experience and i and i got it i mean i had no idea what to expect i think the first time i came here i was probably uh i think i was 15 the first nam show that i ever went to and uh and it was really great because that's that was the first time i had ever met a bunch of the uh the like gear companies that i've worked with Uh um over the years but uh God, it's exhausting.
1: It's, <laughs> it's totally exhausting. It's hard to explain to somebody the whole NAM thing if they have never experienced it. You know, I only did it one time. I did it about five years ago, and I said this the other day. It it was at the height of um it was in the right in the middle of me doing that metal show. Mm-hmm. So I thought coming into it, it was I was told it was just a an industry thing. Right. And somehow fans are everywhere, yep. and I was like, "Whoa!" Even me. I mean, I'm not a musician, but people knew me from the show. I was like, "Whoa!" You, where are these people coming from? Yeah. And it's it's a massive like stew of of all sorts of um, craziness, but it's fun, but it's exhausting. It's great, yeah,
3: and uh, but it, it can be a little bit overwhelming if you don't know what you're kind of coming into, like I did the first couple of times that I came there, and. And I think I was a, just a little bit underprepared with how because it's just so much and it's so you're, it's like constant overstimulation. I can do it for like an hour <laughs> and then and then I'm out. But uh, but now now that I I know a lot of the people that are there and I know a lot, I've done a lot of work with. Uh, you know, drum companies that I work with and, and cymbals and sticks and drum heads and all yeah. that. Uh, now I have kind of like my family and my people that I'll hang with rather than just kind of aimlessly trying to figure out, like, what is this? You got a home place. base
1: sort of thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. 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 Let me ask you, you know, ta- speaking of recognizable people, of course, your dad is for people that don't know is Max Weinberg yep. and from the street band. And has he ever gone if does he ever taken you into a NAM? I mean I imagine him walking through a NAM, it's pretty pretty crazy.
3: Yeah, he uh he I think he was the first person to tell me like, Oh, there's this crazy trade show that you should go to and, <laughs> and uh and so he took me and um and we went and just kinda checked out I don't think he had been he had I know he had been to one that was kinda like in Germany. I don't know if it was a NAM thing, but it was a very similar kind of uh kind of event. And uh, and he was like, oh, I went to this one, and and there's a there's one in in Anaheim that we should go to, and that was right uh, maybe a little bit after I had started playing drums a lot, and right. uh, and he was like, oh, you might like this, and there's people from bands, and and so I looked up all the people that were going to be there, and I'm like, oh, this guy's doing an autograph thing, and you can meet this person, ask him a question, or yeah. whatever. So uh, so yeah, I was into it, but then when you're walking around all the halls and trying to figure it out, and you know do I check out all the guitar stuff? Do I check out all the drum stuff? Cause it's like, you don't, I don't want to just check out one thing, like one instrument right. that I'm, you know, focusing on or whatever. You kind of want to just take it all, take it all in. But there's just so much. Like after after a little while, it it'll like start to, <laughs> I'll start to get like claustrophobic, and and I'm just like I'm I'm out of here. And uh, there's
1: all these amazing performances too, and they're oh, happening yeah. in all these places, and you can't even really get to all of them. And then there's parties, and it, it's it's um there's somebody should do a documentary about this thing. I don't. I'm surprised there hasn't <laughs> been one unless there is, and I don't know it.
3: Yeah, it's kind of become like historic. That uh, I've I've never been party to the. To the parties that really go on, uh, I'm I'm just kind of cashed in at that. at that point, I'm too I'm too tired to, to go to go out at night yeah, after yeah. after all these stuff. But man, no, I've I've heard like, yeah, a lot of people that I know are just like, God damn, it's just such a. Uh, yeah, it just sounds kind of like debauchery sometimes. I, the, first year, but...
1: the first year before I, I ever experienced it, and I only experienced it once, and I, I've, I still haven't physically gotten there this one okay, yet. Yeah, either. yeah. But, but I was talking to Slash before um, I came to it the day before I was over in West Hollywood, I think. I was at his house, mm-hmm. and we were talking. He said, well, so what are you doing? I said, I'm going over the Nam thing, and I said, do you go to that? Because, I, again, I thought it was a very closed right. industry sort of thing, and he yeah. looked at me and goes, what? He goes, dude you have no idea i go what mm-hmm. do you mean I, and then when i realized and i saw what goes on and i was like holy shit now i knew why he looked at me like i was crazy because right. slash one of the most identifiable guys in the world would just be besieged there yeah. and the, he actually did because a lot of these guys have obligations where they do have to show up for something and you know he came in and you know it was like a, a flash like you know went to totally. his thing boom and yeah, all that yeah, yeah. but but the year the one year i was there Um, Just to show people the magnitude of how crazy this is, that one of the hotel lobbies at the end of the night, there's a guy playing piano in the lounge. And I hear this guy playing piano and, and, you know, very beautifully and all that. And it's Stevie wonder.
3: Wow. (laughs) He's just in the lobby
1: of the hotel playing the piano. So that's that's just how nuts it can be. Yeah. Um, let, let me, t- I, I, I'm just getting to meet you for the first time. So yeah. it's great to really meet you, man. Likewise. And, um, you know, Jersey guy like me as uh-huh. well. Uh, we're very, I said, we're very Jersey centric cause Sambora is coming in. next, Right. Yeah. So we've got a lot of Jersey love today, but, um, you, uh, you've been in Slipknot for how long now?
3: Three years now, a little, a little over three years. Yeah.
1: Your, your history, um, coming up as a musician, obviously was influenced by your dad i mean was it seeing your dad play drums that made you want to be a drummer i assume
3: oh uh definitely i i would imagine subconsciously for sure that had to that had to play a huge factor i mean their band is the band i've seen play the most you know out of any band in my life right um and you played with the yeah, street band yeah. you played with
1: bruce which we can touch on in a second yeah, but yeah. but um when do you remember, like, what's your earliest memory of kind of acknowledging who you're realizing who your dad is and the the enormity of the music he's made yeah. with that band?
3: Yeah, and it's really interesting because growing up, you know, I I was born after uh, the E Street Band had already split up uh, in 1988. I was born in 1990. And, uh, and so it was a couple of years before the Conan show had started, before Late Night had started and um you know all through my childhood i knew what my dad did but i had no concept of it because i'm you know i'm a child i'm not staying up till twelve thirty to watch you know the late night show right um and i knew that he'd be in new york and i knew he he played music i knew he played drums but i really didn't know and i and i didn't know he was in this band i didn't know all this stuff um you know for a long time but then I, but then when the band got back together in 1999 and i had started kind of exploring music then i really started to figure out um you know like oh wow this band is huge and means a lot to a lot of people and what's yeah. the history between behind this and you got you were you've been with them since the 70s and you know like uh just really starting to put it all together it took me years to figure it out like cuz it was all such it all just came rushing back into i i guess in, it, into his life in a really like quick way you know the when they did the reunion tour right. it happened really quickly so um then as i started to learn about bands that i'm into and finding out what my musical tastes are find out that they're going to be on the late night show you know playing because they've got a record coming out so he would i i'd uh, i developed a really good friendship with uh with one of the people that like booked the you know the bands on the show and they were like, "Oh, this band is coming on. You gotta, you gotta come up and, on and meet the them." Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: you, so you, so the bands you loved, you'd get tipped off by your dad or whoever was booking yeah. them, and you'd get a chance to go see them and meet them.
3: Yeah. So when I was twelve, I started taking the train up from where I lived in New Jersey. It was like an hour and a half train ride or something. So right. I would, I would do my homework on the train. I'd go up to New York, I'd take a cab over to Thirty Rock where they filmed By yourself. Yeah. Wow. Uh and that's how I got to be familiar with like the Lower East Side. If I if I got in early, I could go to like St. Mark's Place and hang out with like old punk rocker dudes. At twelve. And, yeah. Wow. Yeah. From when <laughs> that's I from awesome. from twelve, like from twelve onward, and that became kind of the bedrock for the relationship that I that I began to foster with my dad because I'd go to the show, you know, I'd go to see the Conan taping and maybe pop in and say hi to the band that I was a fan of and stuff. And uh and then he and I would like go grab dinner and then usually that band would have like that their show that night or something, like at Irving Plaza or Roseland or something right, like that. Right, right, right. You know, and, and so we'd we'd go get some dinner and then we'd go to a show. And then that really that fostered the connection that I have with my dad to this day and how we share music and stuff, and also my my interest in in playing music, you know, one of the I remember really uh, a profound moment for me was when I was twelve, and I I went up to New York with a friend of mine. We went to see this band, The Used, that we were really into. I remember at uh, at Irving Plaza, and and I got to meet uh, I got to meet them that night, and uh, their drummer Brandon, who now plays in the band Rancid, he's been one of my best friends since I was literally twelve years old. You know, I've known him for going on fifteen years, mm-hmm. and um, and seeing him play drums at that show. It looked so much fun. It looked like I could see him losing himself in that. Right. And that I remember that being the first moment. Because, of course, I grew up, you know, I, I loved bands. I loved music. I loved watching my dad play and, and checking them out on tour and watching them do their thing. But I remember watching Brandon play and being like, God, that looks so much fun. And I think I could do that. Like, I think if I work... At learning whatever it is like, and I I, it took it was a couple years before I had even picked up sticks.
1: So it's actually watching him more than seeing your father play.
3: Yeah, yeah, because I think it took a level of separation, yeah, uh, like to to disassociate it from. I mean, I I love my dad and I love what my dad does, um, but I think it took that level of separation between, like, okay, this is a guy that's separate from a family member, you know, right. a guy that's in this band that I'm a fan of that I've just met and he's all cool. And these guys are a really cool band and now I'm checking them out. And it seems like it's within my grasp, even at that age. And I hadn't started playing drums then, but it just, it's, it planted a little seed there. That was like, that's the life that I want to live. Cause that, cause that was also the music that really spoke to me, you know, like the, the E street band and, and Bruce and their music, everything that they've done, um, it does speak to me, but when I found what I would consider like, oh, this is my generation's, sure. yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. whatever band, um, that I felt I felt a serious connection to. So I think it just took that. It took that, like seeing all these people around me. We're all kind of the same age. We're all really into this band and and stuff. So um, so I think it took that to make that connection. And then once that, that started, it just you know, kicked me off the cliff to yeah. do everything else that, that happened after that.
1: Yeah, Jay Weinberg is my guest, everybody. We're, uh, we're talking about his history, of course, and uh, Jay currently plays drums in Slipknot, where he's been playing for the last three years. A, a far cry different from <laughs> what your dad does in the East Street yeah. Band, but uh, equally great in its own way. And of course, we'll touch on that a little bit, and I want to talk some more about your history. When was the first time you saw your dad play with East Street Band? Uh,
3: would have been 1999 when I was nine years old. And uh, did you
1: go on the road, or did you just catch a show?
3: Yeah, we would go on the road with them. Um, they did a lot overseas. Uh, to my memory, the first time I remember seeing them was like in Spain or something like that. Yeah, I, I probably saw them before that, but that's the first one that comes to my mind because I was all of a sudden in this other. Country and we've never really traveled. We didn't really travel all that much until that point and then um, You know, they wanted to to show my uh, my my parents wanted to show my sister and me the importance of traveling and music and you know What my dad has been a part of and and their band and all that so uh, They would take both of us like out of school for say the last you know month or something of school My mom was a school teacher uh, before I was born, so she would like road school us in a way. Where in the morning we'd do tests, and she worked us really hard. You know, like she it was no walk in the park. Yeah, uh, going to school, you know, on the road, uh, doing that. But we'd do schoolwork in the morning, museum or a cool park, or or you know, go check out the the city that we were in for the day in the afternoon, and then at night we'd watch the band do their thing and. You know, that was a lot of my musical education was watching them do it night after night after night after night. And when, you know, in 1999, when they just came roaring back and um, really put on these intense, you know, spectacles for tens of thousands of people. Were you, you, know? were you like,
1: does every band play for four hours? <laughs> yeah, well, it,
3: it definitely kind of I I would imagine it kind of warped my view about how I would yeah like a live, a live band because, you know i I didn't know how to put it together. I didn't know who these people were. I've definitely seen I remember you know as a really young child, knowing who Steve was, but I didn't know that you know he was Steve Van Zant, you know, and okay. I didn't know all this stuff. I knew these people from my childhood, but I didn't know that they were all in a band together and um, and all of a sudden, I'm just like, What are these songs that you play for hours, and there's all these people?' watching why are we all here i had no idea i had no idea how to figure it out but um but yeah um you know watching them night after night after night after night i got really accustomed to their songs which actually i think was um that was what helped me when i eventually filled in for my dad and played with them uh it was from 10 years of watching them play sure you know murder incorporated a billion times like i didn't I didn't need to rehearse that with the band because I've seen them play it a million times. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was a lot of that, like ingraining it in my mind without knowing, you know, that that would happen ten years later. But uh, but just taking it all in because I saw how important it was to all these other people, and it sound I-, I felt the spirit of the music of what they were doing, and I really enjoyed watching my dad do this like crazy thing that was so you know unique. I'd never seen anything like that. I st- I mean I still haven't seen anything like that. They're like the greatest band i mean it's crazy
1: what's crazy about it is that just recently they played shows and and one of the couple recent ones clocked in as like the longest shows bruce ever played like four hours
3: yeah it was like over four (laughs) hours and they're in their mid-60s yeah who does that
1: that's just off the charts crazy and um you know i had a lot of friends that went to those shows and said that they were as good as as they've ever been totally um for you I mean it's it goes without saying that clearly your dad was very supportive of you sort of chasing this once you kind of got the itch yeah. and and did uh, are you self taught or did did you take lessons or I never took lessons and that was I think the best gift
3: that my dad gave to me as a musician was like the inspiration to just go find it myself you know because cause he did for himself and uh and he was like you cuz he and I come from very different worlds and very different backgrounds of appreciating music and right. and I tended to gravitate towards uh the heavier side of things and the darker side of things and um Does might... your
1: dad like any of that kind of music? Oh
3: yeah, absolutely. He and, does. Yeah, he introduced me to a lot of music uh that I had never heard before. Um, bands like Slipknot. Bands like uh, so. Your dad Se-
1: turned you on to Slipknot. Yeah,
3: so, yeah. I... So
1: he. So your dad's a Slipknot fan. Oh yeah. Wow. Oh my my my
3: That's whole family. Amazing. Yeah. You gotta get
1: your dad. We. I gotta do the Max and yeah. Weinberg conversation. He made, he made
3: he made that happen. I mean, my whole my whole family uh, really enjoys the band. But when that, I mean, the story behind that was like you know the band was on Conan uh, when I was about ten years old promoting the record at the time. And they were coming through on OzFest and my dad, you know, had never seen a band like this play. And he was he came home. He's like, right, we, you know, we got to check out this band. You got to see them. <laughs> they, I, they blew my mind. I met them. They they want us to come to a show, you know, talking like the whole family. And yeah. he's like, we well, got to go. You got to see this band. It's insane. <laughs> and, and my my musical experience up until that point was like The Who, The Stones, The Beatles and Bob Dylan and the band. You know, like, that's what I knew of music. I think I was starting to get into, like, Blink-182 or Uh something like that. And then so uh, being exposed to that, and we went to the show, and it cracked my skull wide open. uh, It taught me that that kind of music was out there, and it made a beeline in my heart because it was just exactly what I was feeling. And so then I did my research about all those bands, and and I think I might might get a little bit of, of leaning towards that from... My mom, because I know my mom was super into, she was into Black Sabbath and Zeppelin and all that, you know. So, um, but yeah, uh, he, my dad and I come from very different backgrounds, and and as as it comes to our drumming, we're completely opposite players, you know. Right. Um, but uh, but him giving me the ability, because I started on guitar when I was nine, and I took lessons, and it made it like school, and I didn't like school, right. so. I, and then I tried it with bass, same thing, made it like school, and I didn't want to do that. So then when I when I found an interest in playing drums when I was about 14, um, and my dad was like, oh, I could show you stuff, or you could take lessons from this guy, you know, in the next town over. And I was just like, I just want to do this for myself. I just want to play along to Ramones Records and um, and have fun and find out why I enjoy this. And that's just been, I mean... That's been, ever, that's been my, my rule of thumb for the last you know, 12 years of, of playing the instrument. It's just like I, I just want to have fun with it and find out my own voice and, and do my own thing. Yeah. Um, so th- he was very supportive in the way of he just gave me the freedom to just like, yeah, do whatever the hell you want.
1: Yeah, that's amazing, man. You got the gig in Slipknot because you had gotten to know the guys through your dad? Is that what happened? In a way, yeah.
3: We, you know We met 16 years ago uh at Ozfest O one. Um <clears throat> and they were they were so busy at the time that they would be through the area, through the New Jersey, New York, you know, Philadelphia area several times a year, you know. So
1: So were they like your favorite band, Oh off?
3: absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That was that was the first band that I really identified with as like the shield that I would wear <laughs> through my life you know and and it, it was a band that i really identified the two records that they had put out at that time were really meaningful to me uh still are and um and yeah so you know i was just a you know weird kid figuring out his own place in the world really identified with this music and um and i got i, I was really fortunate really lucky that i was able to meet those guys that way um, establish a friendship in that way. And, uh, and we just stayed connected over the years, you know, like I, they would see, I'd see them like several times a year, uh, because they were touring so much. Yeah. And, um, every time I, you know, I'd come out to a show, I was probably a little bit, I'd done a little bit more research in, in music. And now I'm finding out who Slayer is and who Venom is. And then now I'm into Mastodon and, you know, there's, there's all these, all it, it just goes further and further and further. And, um, and they can see that I'm learning about this community that exists all over the world. And I'm try- I'm starting to put that together for myself. And, uh, and yeah, we ended up becoming, you know, becoming good friends over the last 16 years. And, uh, in short it, it was, you know, it was, I got a phone call, come over here. I had no idea what I was coming out to, to, you know, California for, um, it was basically there's a drum set. We're gonna bring in Slipknot in 20 minutes. Uh, you're gonna audition for Slipknot, and that's that's wow. it. that was that was kind of wow. The, so you, know, you didn't the...
1: have you didn't have any prep. You weren't no. able to prepare.
3: No, and 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 going back to um, you know how it was a similar kind of feel for how I you know quote unquote learned the E Street Band stuff. You know, after, and that was because it, it took 10 years. Of digesting that material and, and watching them night after night after night after night internalizing that music so it's just a part of my DNA I felt much a, a similar kinship to the music that Slipknot had right made. you'd
1: seen Slipknot as a fan so much that you had watched and, and I mean, probably went home and la- I mean imagine Joey Jordison who you replaced was a, a guy that influenced you as a absolutely. player yeah, yeah yeah for sure yeah. and
3: And so, you know, dissecting every tiny little microscopic detail of those records, because those records meant so much to me in my development as as a musician and just growing up, you know. Um, So I paid a lot of attention to the music they made, and it really was the soundtrack to my life. So uh, having the opportunity to play those songs with those guys um, was I was drawing on muscle memory from when I was 14, you know, trying to just learn how to play the instrument and playing along to those records you know and uh and so a lot of the first day of us playing together was drawing on that memory from you know 10 years prior wow and uh and yeah so and, and also and it was that combined with an attitude of just like i never thought that this would happen you know yeah. you don't plan that eventually that'll happen yeah, yeah. but just when it's happening it's like i'm just gonna enjoy this day this moment playing this music with these guys whatever comes of it, comes of it. But if nothing comes of it, I have this day where I experienced this. And, um, and that was just kind of the attitude of the day. And just like, we, you know, we ran through like 20 or 20 something, uh, songs from the band's back catalog. And, uh, and it was like the next day, it was like, all right, I want to work on some new stuff.
1: And I remember when they announced you in the band, they didn't announce you because they kind of kept it a secret. they yeah. c- kept your identity a mystery for a little while. Yeah, um, it w- was because uh, was that kind of by design? I mean, obviously it was by design, but were you cool with that? Is that something you wanted to build a? Was it a case of building a mystique, or they didn't want people to know oh, it's it's Max Weinberg's kid? Or <laughs> I mean, what do you what was that about? Or just the mystique of Slipknot, the mask, the whole thing? It's the whole thing, you
3: know. Like I I can equate it to. Um back in 2004 when I was one of those kids who wanted any shred of information about the band's third record that was going to come out. And we got nothing for months or what felt like years, you know, and we we got no information. And as much as you tried to find out anything about that record coming out, you couldn't find out anything. And I tried, I was diligent about finding out (laughs) what I could about that record and you couldn't find anything and it pissed me off. And it made me more and more chomping at the bit. So when you eventually received some kind of information or the first song was, you know, was made available, um, it really felt like a reward. Like you had been rewarded for your patience of wanting to, to learn, wanting, yeah, to, yeah. wanting to see inside, to kind of peek behind uh, the curtain, so to speak. And so I can kind of equate it to that because it, it was like this, you know, this piece of the puzzle that people hadn't figured out. And they're looking at, it's like, I think that's him. He has a, his, his (laughs) wrist looks weird in this photo. I I think that's him. And, um, you know, it's like, yeah. So it kind of, you know, it, it became a really interesting way that also disassociated the person from the music and just made people focus on the record that we had just worked on for about a year. Um, because that was the most important thing was that we have this new music coming out. We're starting these tours, Focus on that. Don't focus on that Which was a big
1: story in and of itself for not because, of course, the, the passing of Paul Gray and everything yeah. that had gone on, that people didn't even know if the band was going to continue. They were kind of in a weird spot. I mean, Corey is a good friend of mine, and I, you know, I've talked to him all the time about... Uh, you know, from time to time, as a matter of fact, he's doing Stone Sour right now in, yeah. in L.A. And we were texting the other day about trying to get him over here as well. But um, it's an amazing story, man. It's so cool. And I, I've had these instances in my career where I've interviewed people where you, you have people that are like super fans of a band and they end up being in the band, right. you know, at all levels of music. You think of like Arnell, the singer in Journey right now. Mm-hmm. The bit, I mean, he just I mean, the other, a few weeks ago when Journey got announced for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He put out a tweet and he said, my God, I hope this leads to a reunion with Steve Perry because I just need to see the band with Steve Perry. Right. And I'm like, think about that. This is the guy who has the gig and Journey, yeah. kind of wishing that his own gig <laughs> might go away for a little while just so he could see the band that right, he right. loves with the guy. So it's so cool when that passion comes out and – and, it, and then you ultimately find yourself actually in the band, you know, yeah. and here you are with your own mask and your own thing and, and and carving your own identity going forward with this band. It's a really cool story. Oh, dude.
3: for sure. No, it's been an amazing experience and I'm grateful for, uh, I mean, the last three years have been we've gone all over the world, almost 200 shows, something in the last two years. Um, making the record was an amazing experience. So, yeah, it's all been it's all been just incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you taking some time out from your schedule. It's good to meet you and good to have you come in and congrats on your, your. Uh, I mean, you got a long way to go here, huge career ahead of you, but for your success and, and finding a way to, uh, to, to, not like you did it by design, but to, to, again, it's just such a cool story for a band you love so much to find yourself being a, a member of and a lot of cool percussion stuff going on at Slipknot. So, oh, yeah. All the, what the other guys are doing, too. I mean, There's no shortage gotta of You got to stay on your toes, on man. No yeah. doubt. Oh. For a player, it's quite a, it's some deep water. It's next level for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, and anything else you're doing besides Slipknot? I know they're going to probably be in some, some downtime a little bit, or you got stuff cooking with them. Yeah. Or?
3: Well, we just, we just finished the two years of, of like straight touring uh, yeah. pretty, uh, not that long ago. So, um, you know there could be there could be new new music you know starting to happen. Uh, I'm not too sure, but but that'd be rad. I'm definitely in the mood to to get working on some new yeah. stuff.
1: Like I said, I know Corey's doing Stone Sour as we speak, getting ready to make a record with them as well. So there's kind of always you know walking both worlds there a little bit. Well, thanks to Jay Weinberg for joining me from the NAM show on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast, and of course earlier once again thanks to Stephen Adler. Appreciate you guys listening wherever, whenever, and however you do it. Don't forget the Eddie Trunk podcast is new each and every Thursday via podcast1.com and on iTunes. It is produced by Katie Irizarry. You can connect with me on all my social media outlets at Eddie Trunk on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And EddieTrunk.com is the website. Be sure to listen to me Monday to Friday live on Sirius XM Radio channel 106 volume from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. Talking rock music with you and taking your calls. And that show replays each and every night. 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Also, don't forget my terrestrial radio show, Eddie Trunk Rocks, and, of course, the other radio show that I do, which is music-based on Sirius XM, which is Mondays on Channel 39, from 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern. Thank you, guys, everybody, for listening. It is greatly appreciated. Have yourselves a great week, and join me next Thursday for another all-new episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, podcast1.com and iTunes. (laughs)
0: I'm Larry McReynolds, host of the new podcast, Larry Mack, America's Crew Chief on Podcast One. As a two-time Daytona 500 winning crew chief and current analyst for Fox Sports and FS1, I'll be bringing you a unique perspective on everything NASCAR, from how a race plays out, strategy on pit road, technical issues, and anything in between. Download new episodes now on PodcastOne.com or subscribe at iTunes.